In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. That's John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The title of today's message is Wedding Miracle, based on John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Wedding celebrations during that time and place could last several days. Actually, it could last one week. Such was the tradition. The mother of Jesus approached Jesus with concern. There was no more wine. No wine meant embarrassment. A Jewish wedding without wine is an embarrassment. Remember that. And worse, listen, probably a lawsuit from the bride's family. Hmm. Yes, a lawsuit. The father of the bride, if there is a, any embarrassment, they're also embarrassed because they invited their friends and relatives as well. The groom not having enough food or wine is in a embarrassment and because of that embarrassment to redeem their name they have to sue the groom so publicly people will say they did something aren't you glad you are getting married these days it's only one meal we celebrate with one meal in our time and culture and uh, we value as well discretion or wisdom 
austerity. If this is your budget, stay within your budget. If you can only invite a few friends, then just invite a few relatives and friends. In those days, if a groom can celebrate for one week, it is proof that he can provide for the bride. He deserves a wife. Such were the standards. In these days, we have different ways of thinking about this. So sometimes when the lady asks her man, where shall we live? How will we provide for the kids and everything? Real practical concerns. And the man would say, in Tagalog, sapat na ang pag-ibig. Love is enough. We laugh for those of us who are already married and raised children that that is actually a joke. But not when we were stupidly in love. Cupid is a myth. Came from a myth and we call it stupid Cupid, right? Because sometimes all logic is gone and there's no assessment. No, we're not saying you have to marry a rich man. At least you must marry a man with a plan, all right? There's got to be a plan. It's not, what are we going to do? I don't know, as long as we have each other. Um, going back, that's not the sermon, okay? It's something for our congregation. Now, John, the writer, did not name Mary. He just said the mother of Jesus. Now, we know Mary because of the other synoptic gospels. Although that we know who she is, it was, this was the longest recorded statement of Mary in the whole Bible. So that's why we should listen to it. But again... That's not the main point. I'll get to the main point of the text later. And that's how to study scriptures. When you go through a section of scripture, you ask, what is the main intent of the author? Try your best not to branch out into too many directions, although you may, but you have to go back to the main point. Just like a while ago, I shared a little trivia on Jewish weddings. But we have to get to the main point. Now, let's read verses 1 to 5. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples when the wine ran out. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. It is probable that Mary was a relative of the groom because there was concern. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
Again, Mary approached Jesus because of the situation. And she probably knew that Jesus could save the groom for, from embarrassment. Now, there's a, a thought, an idea, a theory among scholars that probably Joseph already passed away during this time. Because you wouldn't see his name throughout the storyline. And it is probable that Jesus, as the eldest, took on the carpentry business. May I also warn you, do not use our own culture to interpret scripture because a carpenter today is different from a carpenter then. A carpenter then, it's much like part of engineering works, if you allow it. Although there may not be 10-story buildings there, however, in that community, the one who builds is respected as well. And so probably a mother would turn to her husband or the eldest son, the most responsible son, and say, we have a problem. Now, one probability is she knew Jesus will do something about it. Or she was just expressing, they have no more wine. However, the first argument seems to be more plausible because we also see it in the text. The answer of Jesus did not sound affirmative. Nevertheless, he turned the water into wine, which saved the groom's family. Please note that Jesus did not address his mother as mother. It's not mater. It's woman. Now, again, let's not interpret this based on our current situation. Because in our current culture here, where we live, when you say, hoy, bye-bye, it's a, it's a, I'm calling your attention, woman. It's just like a, a Lord, it's like an exclamation. A woman here could be, this is not endearment, but this is not derogatory as well. It's just like when I see a group of ladies having a small group and I pass by the office, so I greet them, good morning, ladies. It's some kind of a formal approach. It's still respectful. So when he said woman, there was still respect there, but not the endearment of hello, mama. Okay, mama. Let me see, mama. Okay, mom. Let me see what I can do about it. Uh, as sons would often do in our culture. Again, it is more of a neutral term. Now, the conversation reflected his relationship with his earthly mother because we know that he's truly divine, but God had to use somebody to bring him into the world so that he can take the form of man. Now, it is probable that in the past, probable that 
he did call her in an intimately. But when did Jesus begin exhibiting or flexing his divine muscles? Well, the, the ones recorded in scripture we can find when he was 13 and he was in the temple. And his parents were just concerned, where were you? We were worried about you. And his answer was, did you not know that I should be by my father's business? And uh, she treasured that in her heart. So some scholars said she might have really adjusted when suddenly Jesus put on the ministry hat. From a son hat to a ministry hat. But what should we note here? Now, the author did not explicitly write the text to reflect Mary's faith. If you remember in another text where a Syrophoenician woman was begging for the Lord Jesus to heal her daughter who was sick. And the Lord Jesus walking even through a racial statement because she was Syrophoenician, he was a Jew, but it was only to test her. It's not right to give the bread of the children to the dogs. What an insult. It was a test. But the Syrophoenician woman said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. And then he stopped. I have never seen such faith. Go home. Your daughter is healed. So Mary was not the only one who was able to insist in Christ. But let's Look at how she behaved. She just said, there's no wine. A woman, it's not yet my time. Why should I be concerned? Then Mary went to the servants. Probably she was part, probably she was part of the organizing committee of the groom. Told the servants, do whatever he says. Now, even if Jesus did not say, okay, I'll do it. He just left. She just left. And just do whatever he says. And I think we should listen to that. The only part where Mary spoke lengthily in this text or in the book of John is this. Do whatever he says. If you believe in Mary, why don't you just follow her? What did Mary say? Do whatever he says. Because she did not say much. Now, let's go back to the miracle. Wine miracle. The first point was Mary seeks help. Then, second point, simply the wine miracle. Now, Jesus instructed the servants to fill the jars to the brim with water. There could be no doubt that there was no more wine inside, and what they see at the brim was water. Take note, those were deep jars, 20 to 30 gallons. He told the servants to bring it to the master of the feast. The master acknowledged that it was excellent wine. Let's read that again, verses 6 to 10. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. What's this Jewish rites of purification? Mostly a style of washing. 
Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now only the servants, the disciples, and Mary knew about the miracle. Mainly because probably it was not time. So it wasn't really a public miracle. It was a semi-public miracle with a public effect. Because only a few knew. Disciples, Mary, the servants. The master of the feast did not know. And probably the groom has question marks in his mind. Oh, really? The last one was good? Oh, who did that? Which among my relatives did that? Maybe he was thinking that way. So we should label this more of a semi-public miracle. But there is no doubt that this was wine and not grape juice. Now let me deal with his argument. Because grape juice isn't much of a miracle. Now I have read those with a position that all wine that was acceptable was only grape juice. Maybe they think the grape juice we buy in supermarkets was the grape juice they had before. You have to understand how wine must, was made naturally without distillation, how it naturally, using its natural elements of yeast and sugar, how it turns to wine. How the fermentation happens immediately as the natural yeast gets activated, which could be just a few hours. Now, again, there is an argument that says it's grape juice. Now, the Greek word is oinos. Oinos refers to both freshly squeezed and the other one, fermented alcoholic wine. It refers to both. Now, why only one word? Why not call it grape juice? Why only one word, wine? Because the moment you press it, it just takes a few hours before alcohol starts building. It's almost the same thing. And why did they drink a lot of wine then? Because the water was not always safe. Even to the 17th century, they still liked drinking wine. I wonder when, I think it was only in the 20th century, when filters really improved the drinking water. So until today, in many parts of the world, they still prefer wine because they believe it has healthy bacteria for your stomach, for your gut, and it's safer than water. And it's still true, if you go in places where it's undeveloped, well, you don't look for wine, you look for Coca-Cola, right? Where you're in a rural area, you're not sure of the water. Is there a sorry, sorry store here to take care of yours? Then they also didn't have colas. What did they have? They had a culture of growing grapes. 
They had a culture, viniculture. They have a culture of wine making. A wine maker will not allow to serve something that is freshly squeezed because he's a winemaker. It's an art, it's a craft, it's a skill, and they also have masters. Wine masters. So it's embarrassing if you would serve freshly squeezed wine. And he said, this is the best wine. It cannot be freshly squeezed if it's the best wine. Because anybody can do that. Oh yeah, give me grapes, let me squeeze it. Oh, and the tradition of dancing on it, right? I don't know if the feed bacteria help. <laughs> Maybe it does make the wine. But it gets clean, don't worry. It gets clean because when the yeast and the sugar activate and the bacteria mixes, it becomes healthy bacteria. Good for the microbiome, as scientists would call it. So, well, so Jesus made the best wine of the feast. Yes, he did make the best wine of the feast. Can we safely say he is not against moderate drinking? No, he is not. And the Bible is consistent. The Bible frowns upon excessive drinking that leads to intoxication. You will find in different parts of Scripture that wine is a blessing. It only becomes a curse to the one taking too much of it. What does the Bible speak about? Though this is not the discussion, forgive me. It's just for our church. Don't worry, I'm coming up with a position paper. I'm now beyond 5,000 words. Of what's the position paper on moderate drinking of alcohol? Moderate, not excessive. But then to call it a sin, it is not what the Bible says. Now, to you, if it's a sin, then it's a sin to you. That cannot be public doctrine. If you take your personal conviction and make it a public doctrine, then I believe that is an abuse of your personal conviction. So the question is, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible prohibit wine with alcohol? Oh, by the way, in ancient culture, beer already existed, okay? Now, I heard somebody say that they haven't discovered fermentation yet. No, no, no. We have forgotten about fermentation. There was no refrigeration. Because there was no refrigeration, how do they preserve the fruit, especially grapes? Because it's a wine country out there. How do they preserve? Simply by crushing it. Because the natural yeast on the skin and in the air mixes with the sugar and it turns to alcohol. How do I know? I make my own calamansi wine. Uh, that my, my, my wife does that. But I make my own ginger ale. You know another word for ale? Beer. 
at home. You want to drink with me? Visit me in Kamagong. But when you are with me, again, I would remind, please, nobody get drunk, please. Because wine, why is it part of weddings? Why is it part of celebration? Ecclesiastes 9, 7 says, for what? It's a, why is it a blessing? Because it gives gladness of heart. If you have guests that are, don't know each other, they're not talking, serve wine. They'll begin talking to each other. Oh, really? <laughs> but there must be a limit because it gets worse, okay? <laughs> so that's why there must be moderate drinking, not excessive drinking. So you have to control if you have guests and they're not talking to each other. But the abuse of it is dangerous. And we preach against the abuse of it. Now, if for Jesus... He's, he, if Jesus preached abstinence totally, then why would he create the best wine? Ah, but you know how they could drink a lot before? Because if it was too strong, they just mix it with water. And somehow the water gets, maybe they believe it gets cleaned as well. So it's not that strong. Now, in today, we don't use water. We say, on the rocks, please. I suddenly realized a technique of baristas because I celebrated with a couple of their wedding anniversary and my, one of our brothers got some of the whiskey there. And when I looked, I said, what is that? Because it's a glass full of ice. And I think there was very little whiskey. Oh, that's how they prevent people getting drunk. These baristas are good because you should only put two ice cubes there. But they put a lot, ah, then it tastes like water with a little flavor. That's how it tasted like. Now, again, going back, that's not the point. The point was, what did he make? Wine takes three days to feel the taste. But it takes three weeks. Now, most people like three weeks. That's just an opinion of mine. I cannot substantiate it. My ale, many people like my ale two weeks. Huh? Brother Ed, you make wine? Yeah, but not a miracle, okay? <laughs> I make wine, but it's no miracle. It's just the natural understanding, a little chemistry, uh, without e really determining the computation. I just know if this and this and this, it mixes. But for those who want it a bit stronger, we wait two months. And if you wait two months, you get a taste of that, boom. Some people get hit and say, where can I sleep? So I think one week, two weeks is fun to enjoy it without really getting drunk. Now, after I make my position paper, I will invite local theologians to discuss it with me on this stage. We will invite them. Isn't that a good idea? Because I want to hear. I want to see. Because they can convince me. Or if they allow it, I can convince them that moderate drinking is not a sin. And if you think it's not a sin, please don't make it public. 
I'm not imposing myself to you, but, but if you stumble, then I won't do it in front of you. You just let me know. I won't do it in front of you if you have a problem with alcohol. We'll do it quietly at the back <laughs> and not invite you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Another way for not using ice, we use non-alcoholic. But is it part of Philippine culture? I would say yes. Maybe not like the intensity where they had with wine because they're fanatics of wine. They can't live without wine in many cultures in the world. We can live without it, but is it part? And that is why, gentlemen, ladies, we reach out for the worst of the worst. I like the stories when a drunkard met Christ and from drunkenness he learned moderate drinking. With a clear mind, he loses addiction, or better yet, he totally gives it up if he's alcoholic. But I have no right because I don't see Scripture saying it's a sin. Now, if it's a sin to you on a personal level, then it's a sin to you. I will not question that. But that is not something you can impose on the public. Now, what if this pastor preaches it to preach? Let's talk theologically. He can respond to my 6,000 or 10,000 words. I'm not yet done. I'm just saying, I did a lot of reading on this. Let's go to the main point. The main point is his glory. It's amazing. Good wine, it's probably three weeks or better yet, two months. How did that happen? It's a miracle. That's why it's a miracle. Now, if today you say, turn the water to wine, I'll tell my wife, get me a grape concentrate quickly. And when nobody's looking, I say, close your eyes and let us pray. You put it in and then you mix it. Then I say, it's a miracle. But if somebody tastes, it's not wine. It's grape juice. I can do this at home. Gee, if it's just water, I mix it with 50% newly pressed grape. It may look like wine. But if the master of the feast, take no master of the feast. This is not nobody. Okay, this is not a nobody. Here goes a, uh, the expert in feasts, including wine. And he says, oh, oh, this is good. And then what? He tells the groom, <laughs> you're different. You, you, huh? I have done many feasts, but you have a different style. After they drink a lot, and they're a little bit happy, we serve, others serve the poor wine, because they don't mind. They're already happy. They won't notice the poor wine, but you're different. As the days progressed, you served the best for last. Now, John the Evangelist, meaning the writer of the account, referred to his statement in the prologue. He wrote earlier that they beheld his glory. You'll see that in chapter 1, verse 14. Now, John wrote what, that he manifested, Christ manifested his glory, 
Then the disciples believed. Verse 11 is the main point of this section. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. That supports the prologue. Now, in studying John, try to look at the sections and see how the prologue supports it. And the prologue supports it because in verse 14, the writer said, We saw his glory. And here, Jesus manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Didn't they believe before? Yes, and they kept believing. The same way as we believe in Christ, we believe in the gospel, but the more we study scripture, the more we believe in him. It's just an amazing experience. Verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Were these really his brothers? Does scripture support that? Yeah, Jude supports that. Jude was a brother of Christ. James, the book of James, brother of Christ. Uh, in the Acts, Luke was writing about uh, his brothers. Now, Mary and his brothers, now some say, no, it's a metaphor for close friends. It's a metaphor for cousins. It's a metaphor for his disciples. Friend, rules of interpretation, this is a narrative. And usually in a narrative, you have to figure out, it would be very obvious when, when you say it's a metaphor. This was just telling the story. From one point, they traveled to another. This is it. This was his brother's. With mother, his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Now, his brothers, through Mary, knew who he was. That's why James and Jude, when they signed their letter at the start, they both said, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they know their place. Okay, they know their place. They know that this is no ordinary man. He is who he claims to be. Now, let me just clarify a phrase. It says, and uh, after this, he went down to Capernaum. But if you look at the map, it's supposed to be going up. Why did it say he went down? Because it's downhill. Just trivia for some of you who might look at maps. From Galilee, but it was located in the upper part of the map. Now, Jesus traveled with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Again, the writer did not mention Joseph because probably Joseph already passed away uh, with the reasons we don't know why or how. Some says the distance of age between them could be the age or could be sickness because the life expectancy sometimes... 2,000 years ago, where it's not compared today, which is getting better, by the way. People living at 80s and 90s, even hitting 100. Once upon a time, when I was young and a kid, it was 65. People died at 65. 
application, pay attention. Not everyone noticed that a miracle had taken place. The Lord was at work, yet only the disciples, the mother and the servants knew about it. We now know through the scriptures, but we also know in the present through the community. Why? The Lord moves in different ways in all our lives. And we may say something is not really a miracle, but an answered prayer. But sometimes, a miracle does take place in some of our, our lives. And how do we get updated by the fellowship of believers? By we sharing the greatness of God through one another. We went through a crisis and the Lord was with us and took us out of that crisis. And we all have that similar story during the crisis. Some were, some lesser. Now, if you think you were the worst, please don't believe so, that because there's somebody worse off. But the faith that preserves us, that is the amazing thing. The Lord preserves us through the most difficult and that we can say that miracles have taken place in our lives. Some, again, simply answered prayers. Others are miracles. What are miracles? It's beyond the ordinary. That's a miracle. Beyond the ordinary. Second point, see his glory. The author mentioned that they saw his glory, John 1, 14. John mentioned that Jesus manifested his glory, and one way was to display signs and wonders. So let us see his glory as revealed by the Holy Scriptures. Focus on the glory of Christ. Some misuse this text to reflect the divine influence of Mary on Christ. So what do we do? Focus on the glory of Christ. Let's not use this text to make her divine because nowhere in scripture that says that she is divine. She's not at the God level, not Trinity level. Don't make her like the fourth person of the Trinity. You say no, but that's how you behave. That's how you treat. The disciples never prayed to Mary, not one of them. Go through the New Testament again and again. Just read through it. There was no instruction that we should. And she was not the only woman or person who persisted and received something from Christ. Now, and lastly, believe in the witness. Believe in the witness of John about Jesus. We believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Word of God, and the creator of the universe. In this text, we read that he turned water into wine. We believe the scriptures, and we believe what happened here. Now, for some people, they would say their favorite miracle is, of course, the greatest, the impossible, is when God giving us a new heart in Christ. That is an amazing miracle because we know who we were before. But by His grace through the gospel, something happened within us and that was impossible. It is impossible to save yourself alone. It is impossible to have a change of desires and nature. And sometimes completely, some overnight there was a change. That's an amazing miracle. For some of us, it's a slow progress. Yet nonetheless, a miracle of God. Now next to that, some people say the miracles they like are the healing miracles. Yet very few men would say their favorite is the water to wine. I give you right now a poem called Water to Wine. They drank and dined day after day. 
The groom must be prepared to pay. Not all was well, not all was fine. The wedding feast ran out of wine. Aside from the embarrassment, a legal notice will be sent from the wife's father nonetheless. He'll sue the groom for damages. With concern, Mary approached him. The outcome for the groom seemed dim. Woman, why? It is not yet time. For the few, it would be sublime. So he turned the water to wine to prevent rumors of a crime and to manifest his glory. John wrote about the wine story. The disciples believed in him. The servants filled it to the brim. In the witness we to believe, grace upon grace we shall receive. Let us all rise and let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the story. The main point was they beheld His glory. He manifested His glory and the disciples saw it and they believed. We were not there, but we believe in the witness by reading the account. And in faith, we know you are glorious, Lord Jesus. We know this is true because even in our lives, we see your glory. And you are amazing. And you are gracious. We do not deserve anything. It's not because we decided. It's not because we tried to follow. But because of your grace. That made us follow. Because of your grace that allowed us. Through the door. And that door is Jesus Christ. So we persuade men to believe. We persuade others to turn away from sin. Yet praying and trusting that you will work in their lives. And that your grace will fill their hearts. And that they would come to you. We see the miracle. An impossible thing to happen in the natural. But amazing nonetheless. Teach us to appreciate the witness of John, the writer of the Gospel of John. And now we can meditate and read it. And like, teach us, Lord, not to make the text something else. It is not about the people there. It is not even about the wine. Although the people were instrumental in the story and the making of wine was instrumental, it was not about that. It was about the glory of Christ. And all explanations of the good wine, how it happened, the study of their culture and how it's done, it's to see the impossibility, the impossible become possible once Christ determined it. Thank you for allowing us to believe. May many more believe. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good morning.